morning, folks. Good morning. Uh, it's nice to be uh, back with you after our break away. Um, hopefully, you can see we had some good weather. Uh, you look like you've got a wee bit of colour as well. Um, I have to say, Balmedy didn't disappoint us um, with its usual welcome back with the har. Uh, we, we stopped off with Ross in Glasgow for uh, half an hour on the way back up the road from uh, Cairn Ryan. Uh, and it was 30 in Glasgow. By the time we got to Balmeri, it was 15. <laughs> 15, literally half as warm. But it's, uh, it's good to be back with you after our break. We're going to begin our worship this morning uh, in the word. Oh, I beg your pardon, sorry, there's a, there's a notice I've just been given uh, before we come in there. It's to say that the Guild Afternoon Tea uh, is this Tuesday at 2.30 in the Annex. Uh, so just to let you know about that, 2.30 in the Annex on Tuesday. And uh, Marjorie is asking if some uh, strong men, uh, looking around there's not that many of us, but there's enough, I think, to do the job, uh, could set up, help set up in the Annex after uh, church today. So if you're able to stop for a coffee and you can give 10 or 15 minutes to help with set up, that would be much appreciated. Those are all our announcements, so let's worship God uh, in our opening hymn this morning, which is number 192, All My Hope on God is Founded.
Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for well-known hymns with stirring words and music that captures something of your grandeur and vitality. Thank you for the men and women in the long traditions of our faith who have used their skills to set faith and hope to words, words that we still sing generations after they were first written. But Lord, stirring as they are, noble as they are, they are not our words. And this is not our music. We've gathered here today not to rehearse other people's feelings about you, but to discern our own. Not to celebrate others' commitment to you, but to renew our own. Not just to study other people's stories in Scripture, but to live our own. You are here. You are now. You are present to all in the still places of our hearts, calling us to repentance and to grace, calling us to take up the ancient practices of our faith that establish us in the way of Jesus. God, all our desires and longings, all our hopes and aspirations originate with you, whether we realize it or not. We were made to know you. Help us learn to live in the light of that great truth. God, you know how hard it is for us to see your truth clearly to follow it fully and to love you completely. We sin through ignorance, through negligence, and through our own deliberate fault. We keep our distance because we're stubborn or ashamed. Forgive us as we take a moment in the silence to make our own confession to you now. Gracious God, your mercy is new every morning. So may it dawn in our hearts, bringing light that guides and warmth that heals on these journeys that we call our lives. So hear these and all our silent prayers, which we offer in the name of our friend and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, 
power and the glory forever. Amen. The reading this morning is taken from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 15, and reading verses 1 through to 9. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Amen. Thanks, Eric. Our next hymn is number 189. Be still for the presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. And we'll remain seated to sing this one.
Let's take a moment to pray now. Spirit of God, unseen as the wind, you are in this place today. You were here before we arrived. You'll be here long after we leave. But you're everywhere. You go with us into our days and into the week that lies ahead. So we ask you to minister to us in this time that we've set aside to be together today. And we pray that a word or a, a, a line from a hymn or a prayer or even just the simple thing of being with one another in conversation will move us on the next tiny step on our journey of faith, our journey deeper into you and all that you have for us. So hear our prayers because we ask them in Christ's name. Amen. It was my first student placement as a minister in training. It was a big, fancy West End church in Glasgow that really wanted to be a cathedral. And there were about 40 folk in it, in a building probably twice as big as this one, and they were rattling around like marbles in a shoebox. They were big on aesthetics, but less good at welcome. Now, of course, they were all nice to me, because I was an important person. I was the new student minister. But Rona was unknown to them at that point. She was just a, a shy newcomer who had started slipping in at the back of services lately. And none of the regulars made any effort to connect with her. Nobody said hello or offered to sit with her or took the trouble to introduce themselves. And I hope that would never happen here. I don't think it would. But this went on for about six weeks until finally one lady made a point of sitting beside Rona and speaking to her. And Rona was so delighted that she and her new friend didn't notice that the minister and I were processing in. Processing was a very big thing in that church. And from behind the two women in the pew came this angry harumph. Oh, this is the ruination of the Church of Scotland. People talking when the minister comes into church. So Rona was the ruination of the Church of Scotland. If you're wondering what all the ills of the Church of Scotland, where they can be laid at the feet of Rona McKeown. And just recently a patient, a patient told her that she was the ruination of the NHS as well. So I'm beginning to think that she's just working her way around the great institutions in our country and, and trying to bring them down one by one. But putting aside the vexed question of whether Rona is or isn't the ruination of the Church of Scotland, What's going on with that? What was happening in that little exchange? Well, that man was annoyed because these two women seemed to be disrespecting a tradition that he valued, the tradition of remaining silent at the beginning of the service, presumably as a mark of respect uh, to God. And in more formal times and more formal congregations, that's how things were done. My guess is it would have been the same here. 30 or 40 years ago. But what he didn't realize, and perhaps should have realized, is that Rona and her new friend were inadvertently practicing another 
God-honoring tradition, one with a far longer history in the Scriptures, the tradition of showing hospitality and welcome to the stranger. And you can probably guess which tradition I think is the more important, but that's by and by. We can get awfully het up about these things in the church, can't we? Our traditions. I think sometimes we get too het up about them. I remember a lovely wee elder in my home church in Palomina who was all sweetness and light most of the time. But when the youth group dared to move the communion table to make room for the praise band for one evening service, she said that if they tried it again, it would be over her dead body. Disrespect tradition, even unintentionally, and you will find hackles rising. Jesus knew that more than most. And in a moment, we'll hear more about this particular encounter with the Pharisees who traveled all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee just so they could harumph at him in person. But before that, I just want to say a brief word in defense of tradition, because tradition is a big part of what makes us who we are. Think of your Scots traditions. And I know that many of you bemoan the fact that some of these are passing. First footing in Hogmanay, Burns Night, Neeps and Tatties, Haggis and a Dram, Country Dancing, Cayley Music. Or think about your Kirk traditions, Biblical preaching, hymns and psalms and Holy Communion and concern for the world expressed in prayer and in action. Or think about your family traditions around birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and other celebrations, the things that are part of your routines in times of togetherness. Traditions can be a real blessing. They help us to know our place in the world and feel comfortable there. And they can be a great source of strength when we feel that everything around us is changing and perpetually changing in a fast-moving world. In his biography, Taken on Trust, Terry Waite writes about his four-year captivity in Beirut at the hands of Islamic Jihad. And Terry tells us that in times when his spirits were so low that he couldn't even utter a word of his own in prayer, that's when, for him, the words of the Anglican prayer book really came into their own. Those words had rolled over him and seeped into him for years and years and years as he worshipped within that community. And in that time, when he couldn't find a word of his own to say to God, he managed to lean into those words that others had written and use them as his prayer. And he found it incredibly helpful and sustaining when he was at his most dry and really needed that help, that tradition, came alive for him. So nobody here and nobody in today's story, least of all Jesus, is knocking tradition. We wouldn't be human if we didn't establish traditions and routines to live by. But like so many things, tradition can also become a stumbling block if we don't treat it carefully. And as I reflected about that, alongside our passage from Matthew, I realized a couple of things. If our traditions become too important to us, 
then they will make us lose perspective. And if they become too familiar to us, they'll eventually lose their meaning altogether. And we're going to look at those two things briefly in turn. By this stage of his ministry, Matthew 15, Jesus has healed the deaf and the blind and the paralyzed. He's performed exorcisms. He's fed the 5,000 and he has walked on water. So it's interesting that when the high Hegians come up from Jerusalem to check him out, they're not interested in any of that stuff apparently. The only thing they seem to care about is this business of ritual hand washing. Now doesn't that already suggest a loss of perspective? They're not interested in all of that stuff. It's the hand washing that really matters. The truth was, of course, that they'd already made up their minds about Jesus. He was a loose cannon, and he was a threat to their authority. They couldn't deny his power. All they could do was discredit him by suggesting that his power didn't come from God, but from the devil. And so they set about looking for any and every little deviation from the law that might be used to discredit him and cast doubt over his soundness. Aha, they say, look at his disciples. They don't wash their hands in the proper way before they eat. What kind of a rabbi is this if he lets them away with that? Surely a holy man would expect more of his followers. But the thing is, this business of ritual hand washing was an invention of the Pharisees. There was no prescribed method of washing hands set out in the Old Testament apart from those who served as priests. What had happened was that alongside the law of the Torah in the Old Testament, God's law, the Pharisees had drawn up a very exhaustive list of new laws going into the minutiae of what should and shouldn't be done. And to them, their traditions that they had worked up were at least, if not more important, than the actual Old Testament law itself. And to ignore these new laws was to reject the Pharisees' authority. And that's exactly what Jesus goes on to do. In effect, he says, why should I follow your traditions when you place your own traditions above the command of God? God says, honor your father and mother and the Ten Commandments, and that includes looking after them in their old age. But your teachings allow a man to pledge his income to the temple so he doesn't have to give his parents a penny and can leave them destitute and vulnerable. How's that honoring your father and mother? as God commands. Why should we follow your tradition when it's clear that your tradition matters to you more than God's own word? You're hypocrites. You're play actors wearing a mask of righteousness. You honor God with your words, but your hearts are far from him. And in that, I think we get to the crux of things. Faith isn't a matter of rules and regulations and traditions alone. It's a matter of the heart. Beware lest your love of tradition warps your perspective as the Pharisees had experienced and you end up missing the very heart of what your faith is supposed to be about. I remember many years ago now, a man in Glasgow who was horrified by using a digital projector in church to show clips from movies in the context of a church service. And he castigated me 
for turning his church into a picture house, it offended his tradition. I discovered later on that that same man had no problem denying the incarnation of Jesus Christ, a central tenet of Orthodox Christian faith for two millennia. I remember hearing about a female teacher in primary school who, in her eagerness to get Bible verses into school children's heads, would repeatedly threaten and smack them until they finally remembered those verses. I wonder what you think the children remembered in the years ahead. The verses or the threatening teacher? I remember the voices of those who would rather go to the stake than see the pews taken out or the musical style diversify or the translation of the Bible change, regardless of how valid the reasons for those changes were. They would rather up and leave than stay one minute longer with those people in that place. Beware, says Jesus. Beware. It's not about your tradition, no matter how tightly you hold it. It's about how your heart is with God. And by extension, how you deal with and relate to others. Everything else, everything else is secondary. So don't let your tradition become too important to you. If you do, it could well skew your perspective and what it means to have and to practice your faith. But equally well, this is my second point, don't let your tradition become too familiar either or it can start to lose its meaning. I read a story a while back that I think illustrates that perfectly. Uh, it was last century and Britain was preparing for war and a time and motion man had been brought in to study one of the drills for firing the big guns to see if it could be speeded up. In years gone by, these guns would have been pulled into battle by horses, but now they were mechanized. So we watched the soldiers going through the drill time and time again, and they noticed that just before they fired the gun, there was a strange delay of several seconds that he couldn't account for. And when he asked the soldiers what they were doing, they couldn't account for it either. It was just a part of the drill as they had been taught it. And the answer came when the time and motion man went to visit an old soldier well into his 90s who'd fired similar guns in previous campaigns and he knew exactly what that delay was for. That delay was to give you time to hold on to the horses before the shell was fired. So these modern soldiers were still making time to hold on to the horses even though there were no horses there. They'd maintained the tradition, but over time they'd become detached from its meaning. And that, I think, is a word to all of us. Each church has its own way of doing things, and that familiarity, as I said, brings us some comfort. But it can also work against us, because when we're familiar with something, we can end up doing it without really thinking about it. One of the things that I enjoy about going to different churches when I get the chance is the newness of it all, especially if it's in a different denomination. The whole business of not knowing quite where we're going tends to sharpen my focus 
and attention. Are we meant to be sitting or standing at this point? What are these words that they want me to say? What do they mean? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing it this way? It's a wee bit like visiting another country in your holidays. You see lots of things that you like and maybe some things that you don't like. And when you return home, that experience helps you to see your own place with fresh eyes all over again. There were lots of highlights from our trip to America a few years back. But one that I'll always remember was preaching in my friend's church in Washington State and then helping out with communion later in the service. They're a, a reformed congregation like ours with a regular worshipping community of something like a hundred, but at least half of their congregation are children and young people. And when it came time to celebrate communion, my friend and I broke bread at the front of the church and people came up out of their seats to receive it. And that meant that we could say a word to each and every one of them and look them in the eye before they went on to dip their bread into the wine. And there was a lovely sense of intent and movement and community in serving the sacrament that way. And I especially loved seeing mums and dads coming up with toddlers in their arms and their wee ones reaching out, smiling, wanting to get a piece of the bread, unknowing as yet as to what it symbolized, but wanting to be involved. And although they didn't know what it meant, they were fully known by God. Now, was that better than the way that we do things in our tradition? Well, I don't think that better is really the issue. All I know is that in my experience, serving the Lord's Supper in that way made me look at the sacrament with fresh eyes and appreciate it all the more. It helped me remember that what we think of as the right way of doing things is only one way among many. And it might be helpful for us now and again to deliberately step out of that tradition to help us keep attentive to what's really going on. And I suppose that to a degree, that's what we're already trying to do by having um, our services over in the hall uh, once a month. I know that some of you like it, some of you maybe don't like it. But what we're trying to do there is to explore different ways of being church together. And for me, one of the really important things about the meetings across in the hall is that we get to sit around a table with other people and speak to them and get to know them and share experience. I know we maybe lose out on some of the formality or solemnity which some of you like, but I think we gain greatly in terms of community and informality, which I have to say is a huge thing for my generation and younger. It's all about give and take, but let's not make our tradition a sacred cow. It shouldn't be that. Our faith is bigger and stronger and more important than any traditions that we might hold. Some folk think of tradition like a, a monument carved out of stone. It's there to be preserved and honoured, unaltered across the generations, fought for if necessary. I wonder if we do better to think of tradition as a tree rooted in one place but living and growing and adapting as the seasons of life progress. Ever present but always in transition and most importantly yielding fruit that will sustain those who take shelter under its boughs. 
seeing tradition in that kind of living way won't be the ruination of the Church of Scotland. It might well be a part of what helps to keep it alive. Let's take a moment now to pray together as we make our prayers for others. Loving God, thank you that faithfulness over time forms tradition. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us, your human family, and for the faithfulness that inspires in us in return. We bless you for those in our own community who long ago, and indeed more recently, placed stone upon stone and raised chapels and churches and halls for the honouring of your name. We bless you for those who were faithful servants of Christ and his church, worshipping, serving, teaching, nurturing in his name for your glory and for the sake of the kingdom. Help us find our place in their company. Not first and foremost as churchgoers or custodians of buildings or traditions, but as men and women who faithfully set ourselves to the business of knowing you more through prayer and reading, worship and service in private and in public. Help us in our time to learn again the disciplines that strengthen faith, that we in turn might make this church a place where our children and our children's children can encounter you in ways that move their hearts and their minds. Lord, we pray for your church, so rarely seen as successful in worldly terms, and yet enduring for generations through faithfulness. We pray for your church throughout the world where she's influential or ignored, thriving or struggling, persecuted or at peace. Help her draw comfort from your example and your presence and point others to you in all that she says and does. Lord, hear our prayers for our country with all its beauty and its brokenness. <coughs> Where we have cast off the knowledge of you, help us to set aside our idols, all the things that keep us from following you. May your spirit reawaken our people to the values of Christ and may his love begin to shape even the doubters and the antagonistic. Lord, we bring you our concerns for the world, where it's becoming clearer by the day that the narrative of self-interest is taking us down the broad road that leads to destruction. We see people in poverty, people at war, men, women and children caught in the middle of it all and feeling powerless to do anything about it. Lord, hear our prayers for them 
and for justice. And we ask you to be with those who are on our hearts and minds, especially this morning. The suffering and the sad, those who are heartbroken, weary or ashamed. Those who are anxious or lonely. Faithful friend and saviour, with you all things are possible. So hear our prayers and make us a part of the answer to them. Because we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. We close our service this morning in the words of a hymn you won't know. Um, when I was <coughs> preparing for today, I discovered this on the internet. Someone's put some words uh, to the story that we've heard read from Matthew's Gospel today. And so this song is called The Well-Loved Traditions.
And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.